But we are glad you are here this morning. We're continuing our series, The 52 Greatest Stories of the Bible, using a companion book um, by that name. And, and so I'll pull a little bit from that this morning. And I hope for those of you that have picked up a book are enjoying that. I do have one copy left. And so that is available um, for the cost that the church had paid for, for $12.49. And so if you want to, you know, get in on it, it's certainly not too late. Today's message, though, is, again, we're pulling the, the titles for our messages from our companion book so that people can easily pick up on where we're at if they're tuning in online and stuff. But the title for today's message is A Man After God's Own Heart. You know, and, and just something, a title like that just says encouragement, doesn't it? Versus last week's message. And uh, we're going to be in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16. If you have your Bibles and want to turn there, otherwise we're going to have the scriptures up on the screen as well as we'll be moving along um, in the word this morning. But last week, again, kind of was a little bit of a darker message because we were looking at King Saul's life. And, and we saw how pride and impatience and disobedience sent his life careening off course. You know, and that should, that should you know, cause our, our heart to pain when someone has their life careen off course like that. In Saul's case, it led to the kingdom being torn from him. His heirs would not sit on the throne. God was not surprised, though, by the outcome of the people desiring King Saul um, to be their leader. The people had looked at his stature and where he rated on the handsome scale, and they wanted a king that just looked the part. Someone whose mere size would, would be able to project that appearance of strength and power. And The lesson, though, that we quickly learned from Saul's life was this. It's not the outward appearances that count. Rather, character is the qualifier. It's been said that the measure of a man's character is what he would do if he knew no, he would never be found out. If he knew he would never be found out. Of course, likewise can be said of, of a woman the measure of a woman's character is what she would do if she knew she would never be found out. Of course, too many people spend too much time on maintaining their outward appearance and, and their image every week. They invest a lot of time on that, but very little on the inner character. Inner character is what qualifies someone for service to God. Again, God was not surprised with Saul's character. In fact, the scriptures tell us that he had already found Saul's replacement. A man who he would anoint as Israel's next king. A man who would lead the, the nation to a time of flourishing, prosperity. A man after God's own heart. Could you imagine being the one called to anoint a new king when there's still a king sitting on the throne? Do you imagine being that person called to do that? Samuel was that man. He had, was the prophet of God 
And God said, go and anoint a man after my own heart, a son of Jesse. So Samuel headed off with a flask of olive oil in one hand and the guarantee from God that he would show Samuel who he had chosen in the other. Samuel heads off to Bethlehem to seek out a man named Jesse because God had said it would be one of Jesse's sons that he would choose. After reassuring the elders of Bethlehem, because let's just face it, when a prophet walks into town, sometimes it's not good news. And so he had to reassure the elders of Bethlehem, it's okay, I've come in peace. I have not come to declare gloom, doom, or destruction on you. Samuel went on to perform a purification rite for Jesse and his sons, and he invited them to sacrifice too. And Here's where we're going to pick up the text in 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to start with verse 6, but before we read the scriptures this morning, let's take a moment and pray. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, whether it be from someone's mistakes or whether it be from someone's uh, positive actions and in heart, Lord, we can learn either way. And so, God, we just thank you for your word this morning. Lord, help us to grab hold of the truth that you would have for us from it today and be able to apply them to our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6 starts out with when they arrived and this is now Samuel arriving in Bethlehem when they arrived Samuel took a look at Eliab and thought surely this is the Lord's anointed one Eliab was Jesse's oldest son but the Lord said to Samuel don't judge by his appearance or height for I have rejected him the Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Samuel did what we have a tendency to do. And that was kind of, that course was kind of set because, of course, they had looked at the outward appearance of Saul as well. He remembered the people's initial request for a king. We want what that looks like. And we have a tendency to do that as well, to look at the outward appearance. But they wanted one who was intimidating to the enemy because of his sheer stature, one that would be good-looking. But of course, again, we know that looks have nothing to do with character. Eliab didn't fit the character God was looking for in a leader. Eliab didn't have a heart after God. And so God rejected him for the position of king. But Samuel knew that God had chosen at least one or one of Jesse's sons. And, and so... As one preacher put it, the parade of possibilities continued. Second oldest, Abinadab. Saul or Samuel hears, nope, not that one. Third oldest, Shemaiah. Nope, not him either. Fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, a no, a no, a no, and a no. Picking up the verse or the passage with verse 11. The scripture says, Then Samuel asked, Are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, This is the one. 
anoint him. So as David stood among there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. God chose David, for he was a man after his own heart. Turning to our companion book, the author writes, When David heard his father calling him that day, how could he have known that the odd old man Samuel had been sent by God? How could he have known that that crazy old man would pull, pull out a jar of oil and pour it all over David's head? Of course, he couldn't have known unless the Spirit of God had told him. When he had headed out to the pasture that morning, he could never have fathomed that that day would have unfolded as it did. Now his anointing as king, of course, was private that day. Just Jesse, David's seven brothers, possibly the elders were still there that day that the oil had cascaded down David, starting out with being poured out on his head. But David didn't let it go to his head, at least not on the inside. He didn't yell out to all within earshot that, that he had just been chosen by God. He went back to shepherding sheep. Sure, there was a stint in King Saul's court when David was musically uh, skilled enough to play the harp for, for Saul to calm those tormenting spirits that, that Saul had. Could you imagine walking in to the home of the king fully knowing that you were chosen to be the next king? Knowing that the current king was clueless? Could you imagine what must have went through David's mind and heart? But David doesn't appear to have uttered a single word to Saul about that, about what had happened that day when his father had called him from the pastures. He just humbly served. And that's characteristic of a person after God's own heart. They will be a person that demonstrates humility. David did what he knew how to do. And he just served humbly. Whether it was in the court with the king and playing his harp or whether it was in the pasture with his father's sheep, he just humbly served. And it's the latter, the serving of the sheep, or the serving of his father and of the sheep, is where we find him when his father Jesse calls him once again. This time it's for David to go to the battlefield to check on his three oldest brothers. Scripture tells us, So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israel army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. There was this valley that lay between the two armies, the Philistines on one side, the Israelites on the other. The valley is where David met Goliath, that nine-foot-plus giant whose body armor alone outweighed David when he was soaking wet. Goliath had a morning routine that had gone on for 40 days. Get up, put the helmet on, put the coat on, 
the lead armor, all, all or the and the armor all of of bronze. And take up his bronze javelin spear with the 15-pound iron spearhead on it, and go strutting before the Israelites, spewing insults about their king and their god. Challenge them to send out a man, just one man, of their choice for a duel, and then come evening and repeat the strut, the insults, and the challenge. For 40 days this had gone on, and each day it produced the same results. Saul and the Israelite army were terrified and deeply shaken. It was during Goliath's morning routine that David arrived at the battlefield that day with his brother's care package from their dad. And after suffering abusive put-downs from his oldest brother, well, you remember his oldest brother, Maybe that's why he was rejected by God. But David put up with that and he was summoned by King Saul. And here's where we see a no, numerous characteristics of a man after own God's heart is in this brief exchange here. 1 Samuel chapter 17 verse 32 says this. It says, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go and fight him. characteristic that we see here is courage. You know, when I think about that, I think about a person who has courage when it comes to godly characteristics. And having courage gives you a front row seat to be able to see amazing things that God's going to do. But you have to have courage. David clearly took to heart God's command given in Joshua 1.9. Reads, this is my command, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for your Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. Saul, of course, tries to restrain David from this apparent suicide mission. But David persists, and in doing so, demonstrates two more characteristics of a man after God's own heart. Continuing with verse 37, we read, The Lord who rescued me, and this is David speaking, The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. David had already experienced God's help in difficult situations. David had developed confidence in his God. A person after God's own heart will demonstrate humility, courage, and confidence in God. Rejecting any offer of the battle attire, David set out across the valley to fight the Philistine. In the physical realm, David was armed only with a staff and a sling, and of course the few stones that he had picked up from the stream. But in the spiritual realm, David was armed with humility, with courage, with confidence, and a passion for God's glory. 1 Samuel Chapter 17, verse 41, starts out with, Goliath walked out towards David with his shield-bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his God. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you, 
and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Isn't that great stuff? <laughs> David isn't concerned one whit about his reputation or his name. Doesn't put one ounce of confidence in his name or his ability. He is confidently standing in who God is and what he will do. And David is passionate about God's glory. Verse 50 tells us the, the end of that battle. So David triumphed over the Philistines with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from his sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. Now I think this is a really good lesson for us. Use what God gives us. Just use what he gives us. You know, too many people have a tendency to wait to step out of their comfort zone. They're hesitant to serve God. They make excuses. I don't have what it takes. I don't have the tools. I don't have the education. But if God asks you to step out, well, will you just step out with what he's already given you? Doing what you know what to do, how to do and, and serving with how you know how to serve and allowing God to use you right where you're at. And as he does that, and as you respond to, to his call, he's going to greater equip you for whatever else lies ahead. More tools, more education, more experience. He'll give you what you need. If David can slay Goliath with just a sling and a stone, what can you do for God's glory with what he's given you? Remember whose name you go in. The one who has already won the victory. A person after God's own heart demonstrates humility, courage, confidence in God, and a passion for God's glory. David waited for years after his private anointing before it was done publicly. Saul was still legally king, but David wasn't wasting a, a moment here. Every situation was a teaching moment to prepare David for his future responsibilities. Even when those moments came as Saul was out to kill David out of losing or out of fear of losing his his throne. How is David going to respond to these situations? God is testing him. God is preparing him. Was he going to respond out of instinct? Or was he going to respond out of submission? That's the test that came when David had two opportunities to end Saul's life. The first was when Saul had entered a cave to relieve himself. Let's face it, there were no porta potties around back then. Yet you couldn't call Biff's and, you know, get one to hook up to your camel as you headed out to the hill country. You just had to make do with what you had. And, and let's face it, if you were king, you probably sought a little bit more privacy. Um, this girl would have too. Um, but um, that's, that's what Saul did. Little did he know, though, that the cave that he entered was where David and his men were hiding that day. And David's men whispered words encouraging David. Today the Lord is telling you, 
I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. But those words were not from God. Those words were from from the flesh, not from the Lord. But David crept forward and cut off a piece of Saul's robe. But he didn't harm Saul. In 1 Samuel 24, though, starting with verse 5, we read, but then after doing that, David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. After Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him, The Lord my king! And when Saul turned around and looked, David bowed low before him. David demonstrated submission in spite of Saul's desire to kill him. Similarly, at a later date, David crept into Saul's camp and took his spear and jug of water which lay next to the sleeping king and the men that were supposed to be guarding the king. Again, David had an opportunity to kill Saul. But instead, David refused to kill God's anointed one. He submitted to God's will and timing and did not take matters into his own hands. He didn't try to push open the door to the throne room to grab the crown before it was his time. He was willing to submit according to God's plan. David demonstrated submission. He had a submissive heart. Job chapter 22 verse 21 says, Submit to God and you will have peace. Then things will go well for you. I really think the word submission has gotten a bum rap in our day today. Too often it's viewed as a sign of weakness, something to be avoided. But in the life of a follower of Christ, submission shows strength of godly character. Submission is yielding to God's plan, to his will, to his timing. It's also coming under the authority, though, of those that God has placed over us. If David could continue to recognize that Saul was still the king and should be revered as God's anointed one, even when Saul was trying to kill him, shouldn't we be able to come under those that are placed in authority over us? Whether that be in the workplace, whether that be in the home, whether that be in the church, or whether that be in government, it does not mean that we are going to agree with everything that they say or they believe. It doesn't mean that we're going to be a doormat. And if they tell us to do something that's in conflict to God's word, of course we have to follow God's word. But otherwise we are to submit to those placed in authority over us. Because the Bible says that God is the one who has placed them there. Of course, ultimately we are to submit to God's will. His timing and his authority in and for our lives. A person after God's own heart will have a submissive spirit. As the events in the book of 1 Samuel unfold, Saul dies, 
And David's preparation period eventually ends and he becomes king first of Judah and then of the whole nation of Israel. And God placed a man after his own heart on the throne. It can then be puzzling for us at first glance that such a man, declared one after God's own heart by God himself, could go from seeing a woman to longingly looking at her as she bathed to requesting that she be brought to him at the palace, to committing adultery with her, to having uh, that adultery um, end in conception, to attempting to cover the whole affair, which, of course, if we've read the, the scriptures, we know have it failed, to then going to murder the husband's, the woman's husband and, and then taking her as his own wife. We should ask the question, How is that a man after God's own heart? We should ask the question. But the answer lies in what happens when the prophet Nathan is instructed to confront King David with his sin. Nathan goes to David, you can imagine, with fear and trembling as he's going to lay all of the affair out before him. And when Nathan is very clear that David is that man who committed those atrocities. David responded this way. He confessed his sin. He didn't offer reasons for his actions. He did not blame Bathsheba for being so beautiful. He didn't declare that the temptation was too great. He didn't exempt himself from the consequences because of his position. He confessed his sin before the Lord. And how he confessed his sin before the Lord is recorded for us in Psalms 32 and 51. Here are the words that David used. Starting with Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the sins of or stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. In Psalm 32, 5, finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. And again from Psalm 51, starting with verse 7. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit in me, within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. Oh God, those words, my friends, are words of a man 
with a correctable spirit. How many of us have pulled from David's words when God has convicted us? A correctable spirit is sensitive to the spirit of God. A correctable spirit is remorsefully sorrowful of sins committed and seeks God's forgiveness. A correctable spirit acknowledges and accepts whatever consequences God deems just. A correctable spirit seeks to bring God glory through renewed joy and obedience. Job chapter 5 verse 17 says, But consider the joy of those corrected by God. Do not despise the discipline of the Almighty when you sin. You know, we may not have a prophet, Nathan, you know, with us all the time. I think there are, I know, I know there are still prophets today, and I know that they still speak today. But we as followers of Jesus have the Holy Spirit living within us. And it is part of the Holy Spirit's role is to convict us of our sin so that we can repent and be washed clean of that. But are we heeding his promptings? Are we listening to his correction? Even in the small things. Because if you look at David's continual step in disobedience, specifically in the situation with Bathsheba and Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, if he would have just stopped, if he would have just listened to the Holy Spirit, you are a married man that is a married woman. Look away. And God does that with us as well. It's a little sin to look away, to heed his warnings, to turn from it. It saves us a whole lot of pain and agony. We want to listen to the promptings. We, but if we sin and when we sin, because we know all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we want to have a correctable spirit. There are other characteristics that, that demonstrate that David was a man after God's own heart. We aren't going to touch on all of them today. But if you would read through the book of Psalms with your antenna up of picking out the ones that David had written, you will discover that David wrote about half of the Psalms. He's given credit for about half of them. That You're going to see virtually every emotion poured out. David was not afraid to bring everything before his Lord. Whether that be pain, fear, depression, confusion, any other emotion, David cried out to God in prayer. And he recorded much of his prayers for us in the Psalms. He brought it before his Lord. Of course, as you continue to read David's psalms, though, you're also going to see that he praised God. Many of his psalms end in a word of praise, expressing joy and gratitude, thankfulness for what his God had done. He had a deep reverence for the Lord God Almighty. His dependency on him and all of his situations, and through it you see his transparency and his abandon. For his majesty. 
even in spite of his sins. Even in times of, of victory and prosperity, David remained a man after God's own heart. Even when he became the most powerful man of all of Israel, he was still a man fully devoted to God until his last breath. The Lord sought a man after his own heart. The Lord is still seeking men and women after his own heart. Men and women that are humble and courageous. Men and women that have confidence in him. Men and women that are passionate about his glory. That have a submissive and correctable spirit. Men and women who will call out to him in prayer and offer him praise. Men and women who will seek to be fully devoted to him. Yes, people judge by the outward appearance. But when they do so, they overlook the qualities that individuals have within. Sure, maybe those individuals lack the appearance and those kind of things. But in God's eyes, the appearance doesn't even hold a candle to the character within. The character that wants to be fully devoted and serving their God. People judge by outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Will you bow your heads with me this morning? Maybe as you heard part of David's story, you realize that maybe there's a characteristic in your life that needs to have a little bit of attention given to it. But just as you would brush your teeth or comb your hair every morning, you'd say, I'm going to make that declaration. I'm going to spend some time in prayer and ask God for whatever that is. Maybe it's you recognize you haven't been submissive. Maybe it's you recognize that you haven't been humble. Maybe you need to have a correctable spirit cultivated in your life, whatever it may be. I encourage you this week to spend some extra time in prayer with God and, and asking him to help you to develop that. The Holy Spirit of God wants to nurture those things in our lives. God doesn't ask us to do all of this on our own. He is there for us. We just have to go to him in it. Maybe you're here and, and you're thinking, I'm not even sure what this all means. I don't even know where to start. The starting point is always a relationship with God. you got to have a relationship with someone if you're going to be after their heart. That's just the reality because you don't know their heart if you don't know the person. And so if you're here today and that's what you're, you're needing, that starting point, that's, everybody's got to start at that starting point. It starts with correctable spirit. <laughs> but it's also humility. It's also submissiveness to a holy God that loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. That you could be forgiven of your sins and have eternal life. And so it's choosing to believe that Jesus came 
live that sinless life that we could not for ourselves. That he died, was buried, but rose again. It is believing in that and declaring that you are a sinner that needs to be saved by his grace. As simple but yet incredibly profound and the best decision you'll ever make. So Lord, we just thank you. Lord, for the hearts that are here that, Lord, we want to eagerly seek after you. We want to be men and women after your heart. And so God, we just submit before you, Lord, in humility. Lord, that those things that you want to change, that you want to cultivate, that you want to grow in in our lives, Lord, that we would be open to that. And Lord, that we would take time this week and spend extra time with you in prayer for specifically in these areas that we know need a little work. But Lord, we thank you that you have called us men and women of God. May we be after your heart this week, Lord, so that you can receive the glory and the praise and the honor that you are due. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.